0: For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. And when he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. And about noon and about three, he went out again, he did the same thing. And then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. And when those who were hired, about five, came, they each received their denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. They began to complain to the landowner, these last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sunnybrook. It is good to be with you this morning and uh, this day in which we celebrate mothers, but we are here actually in response to what God has done for us, his kindness, his goodness, his plan, his purpose. Um, And we have an opportunity to do so in light of the fact that we are also thinking about moms. Now, one of the most interesting and complicated situations is trying to come to church And to go through uh, what we might want to call the motions, and I don't mean that negatively, but we go through what we do every Sunday. We sing a song, and then someone greets us, and then they read the word, and then the word is explained or proclaimed, uh, or we're exhorted, we're challenged to live like it, and then we respond with the Lord's Supper and songs, and then we leave. But it's, it's important for us to remember that the occasions of our lives are what set us up for this. And the occasion right now that we also kind of have like running around our mind and in the backdrop of our mind is in fact Mother's Day. So when I come to Mother's Day, I am incredibly grateful for a mom who loved me and cared for me. Um, Some of my favorite memories of my mother uh, was just the way that she would bake bread. I don't know, I had no idea that we could buy it at a store, and I'm not kidding. I had never had store-bought bread almost my entire life until I was in high school. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, I thought every mother baked bread every week for their children. But when I got married, I found out that is, in fact, not true. I I remember saying as a young man, and when I say young man, I mean probably up until the age of 18 years old, I always said um, that my, my, my purpose or my plan for our honeymoon was, in fact, to spend it at my parents' house. I don't know if you guys did the same thing and that my my mom would spend the entire week teaching my wife how to make me bread. Because isn't that what moms do? And the answer is, no. (laughs) Uh, There may be a mother that does that, but not all moms do that. I also remember my mom, uh, when we would get out of school for summer vacation, um, being deeply concerned that she had no idea what she was going to do with me for two to three straight months. Uh, those were difficult times for her, really. She was just, oh, I can't wait till, till August comes back, actually in Canada, September. I can't wait till September comes back. And yet my mom put up with me. She was so kind and she was so gracious. And, and maybe I thought, just because my mom was so great, that every mom was great. And that's just not true. So when we think about Mother's Day... And we celebrate moms and there are flowers everywhere and cards everywhere. I also know that it comes with pain. Maybe a mom that has passed recently. Maybe a a relationship with a mother that wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And there's just been disappointment, let's be honest, maybe even on both ends. And so Mother's Day comes with this mixed bag of thoughts and ideas and emotions just much like life comes to us. I remember doing a, a funeral for um, a, a lady who had passed away, and I would say rather young, but she had two daughters in their twenties, I would have guessed. And when I sat down with them before we planned for the, the for the funeral, I, I said, Do, "I know it was a complicated relationship. I know that you and your mom really wrestled with with, uh, with how you were interacting with one another, um, but." you know, it's her funeral. Are there any thoughts that we could have? Or are there any good things that we could we could celebrate or that we could remember? And these two young ladies, and they weren't being spiteful or angry. They, they just said, I can't think of any good thoughts. And I just thought, wow. Like the way that they look at life, the way that they look at motherhood, the way that they look at Mother's Day is just very, very different. And I, I think it's good for us to just be aware that, That this is what life is like. And so to be grateful for the moms that we have. Um, To be patient with the moms that we have that maybe are not the moms that God wants them to be. To be forgiving and and to be kind. And I I couldn't help but think, because there's a lot of talk about that, right? That the way that people view their parental relationships, particularly with their mother and with their father, really shapes the way that they see God, the way that they see Him. And, and so when they struggle or when there's been nothing but difficulty, then it is really hard for them. It becomes very difficult for them to relate to who God is. That's why if I were to ask you a question, can you tell me what God is like? There is a natural tendency that we have to view God through the relationships that we have, and even their brokenness, through life circumstances that we are going through. It is very, very common for me to have a conversation with someone, or for me to even personally, to look at God and say, God, you are so good. You are so good. And then I list off all the things in my life that demonstrate his goodness. But what if the things in my life weren't good? What if my mother did not make me bread? What if the circumstances of my life are very, very hard? Then I think it would be rather natural for me. I don't know if it's necessarily right or appropriate for me, but it would be very natural for me to then correspondingly look at God in view of my circumstances and come up with a different description of who he was. I say all this because I think it is good for us to to remember, especially those of us who are moms and dads, to realize the additional responsibility that we have to demonstrate to those that have been entrusted to us the kindness and the goodness and the graciousness and the patience of God. So that when they look at Him, and and they do in some way, all of us do, through us, that when they show up at church and they have an opportunity to sing a song, that God is good all of the time and all of the time, and you're sitting there going, I can say the words, I'm not feeling it today. You ever been there? And yet, the goodness of God is not just because of our circumstances but actually in the midst of and all the way through our circumstances. The, the text that I want to look at this morning with you actually is in what Diane read. It is Matthew chapter 20. And if you take a look at it, um, I don't know if you see it in the CSB, uh, I, I, I both love and then I have a, a very kind of an interesting uh, kind of an argument sometimes with with, uh, with, with headings within the book, within the Bible book, right? So what the, what the Bible translators have decided to do is they're going to kind of help you along. And so they're going to give you like a sectional heading or a chapter heading. And if I look at the one in my Bible, it says right here, the parable of the vineyard workers. Now, Matthew never wrote that. That's what they actually wrote. The parable of the vineyard workers. And yet, one of the first things I noticed as I began to study this text is that's not what Jesus said. Jesus never actually said, I want to tell you a parable about vineyard workers. In fact, what the parable actually says, and if you have your Bibles open, I want you to look at, me, look at it with me in verse 1. What does it actually say? And, and I, I, I like this because it really underlines a very interesting aspect when we are talking about God's kingdom, when we are talking about... Um, uh, the the rule of God over his people, and we want to compare it to a number of different things. It's like a sower that goes out into a field. Uh, It's like a treasure that is is hidden in a field. Jesus actually says in verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is, and then here's the comparison, it's like a landowner. That the kingdom of heaven is in fact, since it is the rule of God over the people of God, that's what the kingdom is, the rule of God over the people of God, that what Jesus says here is the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. We we see the kingdom of God being the landowner who is going to represent God in this particular parable. The, The landowner is the one who's going to demonstrate a kindness and a graciousness. To those around him, Um, I I don't know if the parable is really trying to insinuate this, but it definitely actually kind of carries along the idea. The vineyard owner goes out and proactively and intentionally seeks out those who are going to work in his field, in his vineyard. And, and, And there we have kind of this repeated theme that we actually see. Jesus is the one who goes or describes God as Jesus Jesus describes God as going out and finding the lost sheep, as looking for the lost coin, as receiving the lost son. He is the one that goes out and intentionally sows good seed into the field. He is the one who goes out. It is a, a constant and outwardly directed momentum of God. That what God does, his mercy and his kindness and his graciousness, is over and above anything he is in fact required to do, but it is out of the abundance and the overflow of his nature that he responds to us with kindness and goodness and grace and patience. Now how would the original audience have actually heard this? Most likely, if you go back and try to understand it in its original context, There were a number of individuals that probably had fields of their own that they could work. The fact that they are working 12 hours in the day most likely means that it's actually harvest. He is telling this particular sermon in an area in which vineyards are abundant. And so after I might be done working my own field, I would then, for the need of extra money, go out and stand in the marketplace and just hope that someone would come out and hire me. So there most likely would have been a need for these workers to need extra employment, to want extra income, to supply it for their families. And the landowner, out of his graciousness, which we're going to see presented in here a number of times, shows up in the marketplace and says, I desire more people to work into my field. And this is the character and the nature of God, and he does it. If you look at how the day works in the Jewish world, in the Jewish first century world, the day begins at sunup, 6 o'clock in the morning. It is divided into four quarters. So a third or a quarter into the day, at the third hour, that would be 9 a.m. At the, at the, at the sixth hour, that would be noon. At the ninth hour, that would be 3. And then at the eleventh hour, which is at 5 o'clock, He repeatedly goes out. Now, when he goes out at first, he says to the people that are standing in the marketplace, that are desperately looking for work, and he says, will you come and work in my vineyard? And it's the only group that he signs some kind of a contract, that he makes some kind of agreement, a verbal agreement, and he says, I will pay you a day's wage, which would be a denarius. Will you go work in my field? Now, the day has already already started. It's already three hours in. And these workers hear that they're going to have an opportunity to make some extra money, and they agree. Yes, I want this. I'm in on this. The, the landowner then goes back, and he never says, I'm going to pay you a denarius. He just says, I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do what is just. Will you go work? Now, it is noon and three, and they say to him, yes. This is helpful. This is beneficial. I want this. I need this. I'm grateful for anything that I can get. And then they too go out and into the field. And then at the 11th hour, which is kind of where we get the idea, at the 11th hour, at the last hour, at the very, very end, he goes out most likely not because he is uh, in over his head. He didn't really kind of plan out his schedule. He didn't hire enough the first time. No, what Jesus is describing is a landowner who is kind and is generous over and above all the way. And at five o'clock, he goes back out, and he sees still more standing around, and he says, come and work. And they do, probably thinking they they will receive just one twelfth of a day's wage. And then finally, the end of the day comes and the landowner decides that I'm going to demonstrate my kindness. Not by going into the marketplace and and finding people. I've already demonstrated my kindness that way. But I'm now going to demonstrate my kindness by showing these people who I really am. This really reveals, it's one of those parables that reveals not so much the the, the character of the kingdom first, uh, but the character of God first. And then, therefore, since it is a character of God, it is also a character of the kingdom. And what does he do? He says to the foreman, here's what I want you to do, is I want you to go and I want you to pay the last first. And the last receive a denarius. Now, there's two responses that everyone's standing around and watching these people getting paid. And by the way, it was was actually a rule from the Old Testament that you pay people at the end of the day. If they've worked, you pay them at the end of the day. And especially for people who are living paycheck to paycheck, literally from day to day, it is essential that they receive it. And the landowner does what is biblically expected, pays them. Now there's a few responses that can happen, and and, and maybe for you to understand this, it's maybe Christmas is a good example for us. When we begin to see others open their presents, and people getting some really, really, really good stuff. Some really, really, really cool stuff. Some really, really, really expensive stuff. And we know that we've got a present under there too. And we see, hey, guess what my brother got? Guess what my sister got? When, when my children are opening up presents and they see, hey, look what my brother got. Look what my other brother got. It probably is a natural thing for them to expect. A gift. A gift. That is, in fact, in kind, it is is so hard for us. Um, It is very difficult for us to not look at what other people receive. And one of the very first thoughts that we have is, I wonder what I'm going to get. I wonder what I'm going to receive. And so instead of these workers the ones that have worked for 9 hours the ones that have worked for 6 hours the ones that have worked for 3 hours when they see those that have worked just 1 hour and they receive a day's wage it is very very difficult i would i would even say maybe even impossible for them to say wow isn't that great isn't that awesome these guys have only been here for an hour and they're going to get as much as i got isn't that awesome isn't isn't he great isn't he good isn't he kind No, they don't have that response. They don't look at what others receive and their natural, their first impulse is, well, good for them. That is wonderful. That is great. It is not their nature to go, wow, do we not, how blessed are we to work for a landlord that is that generous, that there are people that have been here for only an hour and they're going to get what we're going to get. No. They're Natural, their first initial response is one of greed and one of envy and one of frustration. When they find out that instead of getting what they thought that they were going to get, they actually got what the landowner promised them. They actually received what the landowner said he was going to give them, which by the way, was not only fair, but was in fact generous. I think it's good to just realize no one here worked a full day. Nobody worked a full day. And yet the landowner decided that he was going to demonstrate his kindness and demonstrate his goodness. Um, I I had a dad who was very much like this landowner who, and I'll, I'll put it this way, who so knew my heart My dad loved to do stuff like this. My dad actually rather enjoyed giving things to my brothers and sisters that made me evaluate my own heart at times because he knew that it would be really, really, really difficult for me to look at the gifts, to look at the benefits, to look at his kindness with anything more than a greedy and an envious eye. And so I think some of the most important aspects of this text are these three questions that the landowner asks. Because the, those people, and we don't know exactly who they are, but they appear to come from like that very, very first group, right? What do they begin to do? They begin to complain. And in that complaint, and this is, this is a very biblical concept of complaining, the biblical idea of complaining is actually an accusation or slander against God. That's how complaining works. The the word that's used here is actually the same word that is found in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, about what Israel would do against God when they felt like he wasn't treating them right. He wasn't acting appropriately. It's the same word when the people of Israel looked around and they thought, hey, why does Moses get to be the boss of us? And they complained against him. And they argued against him. Why? And, and it's very interesting. God actually said, Listen, they're not complaining about you. They're not arguing about you. They're complaining and they're actually arguing about me. They, they don't trust me in terms of how I rule, they don't trust me to provide for them. They don't trust me. So, all of the examples that you actually see of the children of Israel um, we don't have anything to eat, we don't have anything to drink. All we have is this food that you're giving us miraculously. All we have is manna. It is complaint after complaint, which is in fact slander against God. I'll tell you, this says it's the parable of the landowner, and it actually is, but it is the parable of the landowner that actually begins to reveal the character of the workers. That what was actually happening every Christmas and every birthday party Every time my dad decided to show some kindness or some generosity to one of my brothers and sisters, what was actually happening was the Lord was doing a work on my own heart and asking me questions about whether or not I really did trust my dad, whether or not I really did believe that my dad was in fact kind to me and gracious to me and patient with me. That whether or not, and I don't know if you do this, but there are just a lot of people that spend most of their lives kind of always relating and comparing themselves to everyone else, and always measuring, and always frustrated, and always angry, and, and in fact, always complaining. And, and what I love is that God doesn't just blow them off in this parable. He asks them, you and I are asked three very important questions. The first question is this, he says to those who want to complain to him, now listen, those who want to slander his name, so you, you need to get, there is a degree of offense in this text that I think in our modern context that we just think, well yeah, like if you don't get what you want, then you should complain about it. If the service at the restaurant isn't good enough, instead of just wondering, I wonder if my waitress has had a rough day, no, 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 they're going to hear about it. Is that you? He's going to hear about it. In, in this context, uh, there, is a, there is a cultural arrogance that actually is, uh, is, is somewhat shameful on these workers. And the landowner is still persistent with them, and he asks them this question, didn't you agree to this from the beginning? The, the first accusation is in fact that the landowner did something that was unjust or wrong. That's a big word in our language today. Unjust. Injustice. And he asks them this very interesting question. Did I do something wrong? Did, did somehow, do you, have a, do you even have like an accusation against me? Do, do you want, do we, would we dare to go to court so that others could hear what you could say about me? That I went out and I met with you in the marketplace. I sought you out. I asked you to come. We agreed upon the pay, which is better than the guys that are already working in my field. You said yes. I gave you what you wanted. And now your response to that is to complain? Look at what he says in verse 13 of our text. He replied to them, and commentators love this beginning word, friend, friend, they treat him like an enemy. And he still responds kindly, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? And the answer for the audience is what? Yes. Yes, they agreed. Yes, there's, there's, there's literally no way that they could ever stand up and say, like, the, the, the court of popular opinion would have to be really broken or really skewed and ever to side with these workers. The slander leveled against the landowner is not right. The second question that he actually asks them, so he is just. The second question that he actually asks them is, don't I have the right? Look at verse 14. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? By the way, there's two ways that we can answer this. One of them is, well, sure. Sure. Yeah, if you want to be that way. And the other one is, wow, everything is yours. I remember finding out that my father's father was a rather well-to-do individual. I never really got to know my, uh, either, either of my, my, or actually most of my grandparents, I never really got to, to know them. But I remember finding out that my grandfather was rather well-to-do, and I wanted to know, hey, so how much came to us? Hey, how come we still have a car that was, like, made in 1970, you know? Like, hey, Dad. And, and, and my dad had a couple of rules. Number one was, you don't speak about such things. Talk about being old school. You don't speak about such things. And then my dad said to me, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, I don't know what Grandpa did with his with, 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 his, with his money. And I looked at him. I thought that was so bizarre to me. But, but Dad, like, I know there was ten of you, so you, only, you don't get very much. I know there's ten of you, but don't you want, I mean... Isn't it right that, and, and my dad looked at me and he, he said to me, <laughs> like, son, it was his. He can do with it what he wants. And I still, to this day, have a hard time understanding what that means. You know what I'm talking about? But, but isn't it yours? Like, aren't you his son? And, and, and my dad, in his kindness to me, just would had no problem just reminding me no, 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 it's, it's all his, and anything we ever got, anything we ever got was just out of a kindness, and, and, and don't ever, don't ever desire, he'd always kind of try to guard my heart, don't ever desire, don't ever want, don't ever look with greed or with envy on what others receive, and so I would then, you know, I can't let this go, right, you know me, I can't let this go, so you're telling me if Uncle David got, you're telling me if Uncle Bob got, you're telling me if Aunt Valerie got, and my dad looked at me, and I don't know if this is an inner struggle that he was wrestling with. But it never rose to an outward struggle that he demonstrated before me. And so I had to swallow hard because guess what that means to me when inheritance day comes. And my dad made it very, very clear growing up. Yeah, don't expect me to just slice this up six ways, kids. First of all, you have a daughter, or he has a daughter that's actually in a wheelchair, so everything will go to her to make sure she's cared for. And as he began to explain how this was going to work, everything kind of ended up with it was his prerogative because it's all his. And he's going to do with it as he feels led. And I just think, why couldn't I be born into a different family now? I literally have learned to view this parable. Realizing with this incredible statement that the Bible says over and over and over again, listen to what the Bible says, everything is from God and everything is God's and God gives it the way that he chooses to give it and we should be grateful for all that we have and God is kind and God is good and God gives it and God gives it and God gives it. And so the question becomes, are we grateful with what we receive? Don't I have the right And the answer to that is yes. Now, here's what I want you to do right now, is I want you to just, can we just have like a heart check for a moment? When you see others who have, not just financial, but gifts or abilities or life circumstances that are better than, what does your heart do? Where does your heart go? And literally our response to God's provision and to God's protection, to God's grace, to God's gifts is more reflection of our hearts obviously than it is in fact God. Do you spend time questioning or arguing with or hope not, slandering the name of God? Because what you have or what you have received is not what... The last question really kind of points this out, doesn't it? He asks this question, and I've posed it this way. Are you evil? Literally, in our... In our, in our actually, not literally. In our text, it actually says, Are you jealous because I am generous? That's really not what the text... It's really not what the Greek says. The Greek actually says, is your eye evil because I am good? It's literally what it says. Is your eye evil? The eyes are the windows that we take in information and we we translate it. And he literally is asking them, the landowner is, he's asking them, is somehow the kindness that I offer to others, is that in fact the, the source of, or um, kind of what generates envy and jealousy and evil inside of you, which is a painful question. The first question Am, am I unjust? No, you're not unjust. You're very just. Well, do I have the right? Actually, yes, you, you do have the right. You are just and you do have the right. And then painfully, the third question is also true Are, are you evil? Is your eye evil because I am good? And the answer is yes. And so Jesus ends this whole parable with this very, very interesting short statement. The last will be first and the first will be last. And, and what I love about that is it just makes a statement. It, it doesn't say that this is up for debate or up for argumentation. It just makes a statement. Jesus makes it very, very clear. This is the landowner's vineyard and people are invited into it. The landowner is exceedingly generous, but it is always going to be the landowner's land, and he is going to do with it as he chooses, and he is good all of the time. Yes, in fact, all of the time. He is, in fact, good. But you and I still need to figure out how we're going to deal with this landowner as we look at what we have, and then we realize this eternal principle. In fact, the last are going to be first, and the first are going to be last. Jesus actually says that the greatest among you are going to be those who are servants, and those of are servants are in fact the greatest. So how do we apply this parable? And I want to just make one um, overarching, yet also, I believe, powerful and intrusive statement. And that is this. If God is that gracious, that it surprises some, I can't believe I got paid this, and also frustrates others, I can't believe I got paid this, then how should we live? How should we look at the kindness and the goodness and the graciousness of God? How should we look at the grace that God has given us? And how should we look at the grace that God has given others. There was a gentleman who lived across the street from Andrea and I when we lived in Missouri. His name was Bill, <clears throat> Bill Hill, and, and Bill was a rather rough man. Uh, he was not kind to most, and, and I could tell, and I heard mostly rumors that it was just difficult. Uh, his kids strained relationships with his kids, but his wife was a saint. And Bill had liver problems, and those liver problems led to more problems. And, and, and then all, they, they went to a different church in, uh, in Joplin, and uh, I was praying for Bill. I had a chance to have a couple conversations with Bill, but um, then Bill passed away. And, and one day I saw his wife kind of standing out in her yard. I was mowing mine. She was mowing hers, and I thought I would go over and talk with her just to ask how she's doing. And I asked her, hey, how are things going? And, and she said, you know, it's, it's quiet around the house. But I miss him. I'm sure you do. And then she said to me, you do know he got saved, right? I'm like, no, I did not know that. Yeah, like literally, like just days before he passed away, I called my pastor and the pastor came and shared Christ with him. And after Bill lived, from what she describes, a rather unchristian, terrible life to everyone around him, on his deathbed, Bill professed faith in Jesus Christ. And was baptized at St. John's Hospital in Joplin, Missouri, and somehow makes it into heaven. And I'm sitting there going, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And I'm smiling and I'm reflecting and I'm thinking. And I said, that is absolutely great. If you need anything, let me know. And I'm walking back and I just couldn't help but look up into the sky and just think to myself, wow, isn't God good? No, I also had the thought, seriously? Like, you can live your entire life any way that you want, and then at the very end, like, you can just, hey, God, I'm sorry, my bad, and get into heaven by professing faith in Jesus Christ. And as I'm looking up to God, God makes it very, very clear to me, almost like with the voice of my father, only more godly, (laughs) you have no idea who I am how gracious and how good I am. And you have no idea how broken you really are. You have no idea the amount of grace I've extended to you. And is it not right for me to do as I choose? I walked away that day both humbled and grateful for the goodness and the graciousness of God. Let us take the cups in our hand (laughs) The bread and the cup in our hand. What a great picture, is it not? To remember what Jesus Christ has done for us to reflect on his goodness. We usually tell you, and by the way, it is appropriate for us when we take the Lord's Supper to look around. To remember that we are doing this together as the body of Christ. This morning, what I want to challenge you to do as you look around is to see other brothers and sisters who have received the kindness and the goodness of God. And don't compare, but give thanks to God that he would save a group, a room of sinners like us. Is he not good? All the time, thank you. Let us take the bread and eat it. And let us take the cup and drink.